Good morning, everyone. It's so good to have the kids involved this morning and uh, with a little nine-month-old that makes lots of noise around when he wakes up, uh, it's no bother at all. We just love seeing all of you guys in here with us. So I'm going to tell you a story, right? This story is about a Philippian jailer and his family and they lived in this ancient city called Philippi. Now, to set the scene, let me just, uh, there we go. To set the scene, uh, Philippi was in a Roman province of Macedonia. You can see right up, the, uh, right up the top there. And it was overwhelmingly influenced by the worship of Roman gods. And it was actually a place for army veterans to go and retire because it was a tax-free zone, which means, kids, that you didn't have to pay taxes to the government. Good thing. But just imagine you've settled into a nice, perfect place, and the last thing you want is for something to come along and for the dust to get stirred up. Well, this is exactly what happened. My little uh, thingies. There we go, there we go. So Paul and Silas, they set sail from Troas and they eventually get to Philippi. You can, I can't quite see Paul and Silas on the, um, on the boat there. But once they get there, things start to happen. People were getting saved, including a slave girl who was earning money for her owners by fortune telling. The owners thought this was absolutely terrible. So what do you think happens next? All right, a bit of a delay here. There we go. The people seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them to the rulers to be dealt with. Christianity isn't good for business. And the money was drying up for them. It was also against the law for the Roman citizens to engage in a foreign religion that wasn't sanctioned by the state. So this just upset the boat for them. And it had to be dealt with. So they were beaten with rods. They were thrown into prison. The crowd got involved, the town leaders tore off their clothes, and now we're introduced to the jailer. Whoops, let's go back one. There we go. Let me read from verses 23 to 24. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. What a responsibility. You've been given charge by the townspeople and the magistrates to keep these two criminals safely locked up. And so he puts them in the inner cell just to be sure. The inner cell is like, almost like solitary confinement. It's cold, almost like this place. It's dark. There's probably rats lurking in the corner. Not a nice place to spend the evening, I could imagine. But how does Paul and Silas respond to this uh, mistreatment? I probably should have changed the batteries in this thing. Here we go. They start singing and praying. Were Paul and Silas in pain? I think so. Were they unfairly treated? Totally. Were they cold? Yes. Were they hungry? Yes. Did they need immediate hospital care? Did they need to come and see Tom and I at Flinders Medical Centre? I'm pretty sure they did. But despite all of this, they sang songs to God and prayed. And out of the blue, an earthquake happened. 
and the doors fell apart, the chains broke, and the prisoners were free to escape. I wonder what you would do. Verse 27, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Just imagine what's going through his mind right now. He thinks the prisoners have escaped. Maybe he's scared of what the rulers are going to do to him, or the townspeople. This jailer was on the precipice of death. Darkness is enveloping him. He thought he had no other choice. Here's a man who's prepared to say goodbye forever to his family. Goodbye to Philippi. Goodbye to his job. Goodbye to his retirement. All because he thought he was a dead man anyway. What a terrible place to be. Look at verse 28. And Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Paul and all the others are still there. They haven't left. But what is amazing is the response of the jailer. Next slide, please. Thank you. Let's look at verse 29. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. What else could have he done? I mean, if it was me, I probably would have run away. He could have called for help and locked them back up. I mean, after all, he's the jailer and they're the prisoners. That would be quite reasonable. But fall down before them and look what he says in verses 30. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What does he need to be... Oh, there we go. Now it's working. What does he need to be saved from? All the prisoners are still there. The rulers would still be happy with him. He still has his job. His income secure. He can still provide for his family. Everything could still stay the same. Just because you have a good job, you have health, you have strength, it does not mean that your life is secure. Apart from Christ, whether you have much or you have little, whether you have a job or you don't have a job, apart from Christ, our life is not secure. We are not safe. We don't really know why he asked this or what he meant. It's likely he thought the earthquake was God's judgment. But what we do know is that he didn't argue when they said what you need is to believe in Jesus. Look at 31 and 32. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It doesn't get much simpler than that, folks. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus. We bring nothing of worth to Jesus. All we bring is our pain, our brokenness, our sin, our despair. But Jesus gives us everything. Every soul in this building today needs saving. Every soul here has sinned, all of us. And without the saving work of Jesus Christ, we will all perish and come under God's judgment. And if you're just checking out who Jesus is today and you want to be saved, then believe in the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You will be safe. 
For those of us who know Jesus, have experienced the joy of his friendship, the peace of knowing forgiveness because you've trusted that Jesus has taken your punishment and paid for it on the cross, this should have a profound effect on our lives. I wonder how faith in Jesus affected the jailer's life. What sort of convert was he? Well, the text doesn't give us the jailer's words. It just tells us what he does and what he was like. Have a look at 33 and 34. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and he washed their wounds and immediately he and all his household were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. The result of faith in Jesus is a life transformed. Just be mindful that just a few minutes ago, we have a man who left these prisoners cold and hungry and in need of hospital care, medical care. He was also potentially scared of the rulers and prepared to take his own life for fear of what they might do. Now we have a man driven by thankfulness in the gospel that's spilling out and wanting to serve others, love and care for other people. He cares for their wounds and he feeds them. He and his whole family identified as belonging to God by being baptised. This is significant in a society where Christianity is frowned upon and the consequences severe. Has the gospel had this effect on your life? The outflow of a heart transformed and influenced by the gospel is one of love and care for others, obedience, worship, and thankfulness towards Jesus. I don't know what this will look like in your life, but the thought from Luke 7.47 should challenge us. Whoever has been forgiven much loves much. We need the gospel, next slide, thanks. We need the gospel to deal with the past but to also enable the present. I think the key to this jailer's life is in verse 34. Did you notice? He rejoices in his salvation. What this man has been saved from is still fresh on his mind. He can't help but respond this way. Do you feel joy when you think about what Jesus has done for you? You know, whenever I become stale in my love for Jesus and love for others, and it happens to me often, I need to revisit what Jesus has done for me on the cross. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us, to purify us from all unrighteousness. You know, suddenly at the foot of the cross, what Jesus thinks of you is the most important thing. This morning, if you've experienced the joy of knowing Jesus, being saved from death, being brought into an eternal relationship with Jesus, then cherish that. Let it affect your life. Be thankful for it. Praise the Lord because of it. And let the love of Jesus towards you spill out in love to other people. If you've never trusted in Jesus here this morning, then believe in Jesus and you will be saved. Let's pray. Dear God, we're thankful for the gospel. We're thankful for the simple message that it brings. God, I ask for all of us in here that we are confronted with the gospel afresh and just let it change our lives.
in your name. Amen.